Hi, I'm Melissa Bender, a partner in the Asset Management Group at Ropes & Gray. I want to welcome everyone to the latest edition of the RMG Tech Studio podcast. In this edition, we have my friend and partner, Helen Google. Helen is a partner in our litigation enforcement practice and is based in the New York office. More importantly, though, Helen and I work very, very closely together in our crypto and blockchain practice, serving the needs of many clients and folks that have connections to that space. Helen, I'd love to hear just more generally about, you know, your practice and, um, you know, who you work with on a regular basis. Well, thanks so much, Melissa, for, for having me. And it's a pleasure to talk with you as always. So as you mentioned, I'm a partner in our litigation enforcement practice group based in New York. And as part of the, the work that I do, I interact primarily with government agencies, the DOJ, the CFTC, the SEC, SROs on various issues relating to market conduct that impact our clients and also conduct internal investigations on related issues. And crypto and blockchain work is an increasing component of our practice. And an interesting thing, again, something that is very unique to ropes in our practice, and you touched on it earlier, is that element of cross-collaboration and a true interdisciplinary approach and how we address and tackle questions relating to digital assets, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. We work together quite a bit on the litigation enforcement side with our colleagues, Melissa, like you on the asset management side, to make sure that we are uh, staying abreast of market trends, that we have real kind of market intel in terms of what peers are doing across the board, that we can kind of bring to bear our knowledge of what regulators are looking into, what they've publicly commented on, what they've privately commented on in, in various inquiries to our various clients, and making sure that we pull together all of that information and all of our intel and resources to apprise clients in a very practical, real-world way that, that takes into account the realities of, of their respective businesses um, and what can sometimes be a murky sort of regulatory climate. That's absolutely right. And that's one of the really um, interesting and, and powerful parts of our practice, right? You know, we have a lot of clients that come to us where, you know, they're essentially looking to be making decisions in relation to their business in an environment where the regulatory landscape is, you know, murky at best, right, as you say. And I think one of the really fantastic parts is that, you know, we have to bring together sort of the strengths on the corporate side of the house, right, as business counselors, as people are looking to, you know, essentially um, make decisions and, and move forward with their businesses in the crypto and blockchain space, right? But a lot of that decision-making really has to be effectively tempered, right, or evaluated in the context of the enforcement and litigation risk, right, that that comes along with um, being in this space. And so it is a truly uniquely um, collaborative environment, I would say, um, in terms of uh, folks working across the table on the corporate and the litigation enforcement side and really needing to work hand in hand in order to get clients to the, the place where they need to be. As you're thinking about some of the, the the challenges that clients face, what are some of the types of, of questions and issues that, that you have been fielding, particularly in the context of the recent SEC enforcement actions? It's been kind of a, a consistent 
question for some time. What are the regulators kind of thinking? What is the plan for this space? So we, we've known since at least 2017 and, and arguably earlier that the SEC has asserted jurisdiction in the space, that it takes a very expansive view of what sorts of digital assets constitute securities under their purview. We've heard from the CFTC um, about which digital assets they view as commodities and, and their right to oversight in this space. We've seen even the IRS stepping into the, the fray. Um, and so I think there, there is a very um, relevant question that comes up quite a bit, which is who are we subject to regulation from? Um, we are interested in embarking on, on a new initiative involving digital assets. What do we need to think about in terms of, do we need to register uh, as a securities offering? Is there precedent for that? We know what the SEC is saying, but we don't see a lot of other folks kind of taking those steps. And there, there are a lot of um, associated considerations in terms of how you might structure your activities based on, on the sort of ultimate regulatory framework. And what we've seen the SEC doing is applying the, the Howey test to determine in its view what constitutes a security, but it is a fact-specific test, right? And so arguably, um, when you were coming up with a fact-specific test, you can come up with different answers as to whether the various standards are satisfied. And so there is a lot of, I think, kind of fair questions from actual participants in this space saying, you know, a fact-specific test doesn't really give us the sort of guidance that we need. And it doesn't take into realities that maybe this is a new digital asset class, that maybe a, a regulatory framework that was appropriate uh, 50, 60, 70 years ago needs to be expanded and evolved to account for new technologies and this new way of doing business. I think what many are, are hoping will come next is some sort of congressional action to um, provide some increased clarity in this space in a way that we haven't seen and that we don't have quite yet. It's absolutely right. Look, the because you know currently it is such a fact-specific test, right? Even looking at the um, uh, court decisions that we have, right, in the digital asset space, right, they come to different conclusions, right, around whether or not particular digital assets are securities or not, um, including, you know, arguably uh, different applications of the Howey test, right? And so it becomes even more challenging to be uh, counseling uh, clients uh, without sort of additional regulatory clarity. There have been uh, discussions and proposals that have been put forth over the past year, um, right, in Congress in order to be addressing some of the issues around digital assets in order to clarify some of these areas. But I think, you know, both you and I are um, uh, not not necessarily hopeful, right, in the current political landscape that, that those bills are going to necessarily see um, the light of day, right, in terms of regulatory clarity in the, in the near term, right? So I think we sort of are where we are in terms of being able to counsel clients on that front. Just kind of turning to some other aspects of this work that we do, you know, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about some of the work that we've been doing with Starling Lab, which is a pro bono client of the firm, which, which has been involved in some extraordinarily uh, compelling use cases associated with digital assets. Starling Lab is an exceptional example of the potential uh, use cases of the blockchain and the ways in, in which blockchain technology is able to 
solve, alleviate, contribute to the resolution of real world problems. So the initiative that we have with, with Starling Labs is a collaboration to, to try to solve a basic problem, which is how do you kind of determine the, the truth in one set of facts? So in a crisis situation in a war, for example, like the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, where each side has very different narratives of events, where Ukraine says Russia has bombed a maternity hospital and Russia says, no, it was a false flag operation. It was actually Ukraine. How do you establish to the international world and to skeptics who the culpable party is and what the truth is? And what Starling Labs is trying to do is use blockchain as a way to authenticate evidence uh, from real world conflicts from real world situations in a way that everybody can can believe in in the, the process and say all right so this is actually what happened so what they're seeking to do is figure out a way to take images photographs sounds videos any sort of contemporaneous uh, evidence or, or proof relating to a real world event and put it on a blockchain in a way that inspires sort of public confidence that there has been no distortion of those original influences, that you can trace them to the original source, that you can verify where they came from. So that at the end of the day, when you were trying to hold Russia or other culpable actors accountable for what has happened, you can use the blockchain as a way to authenticate that evidence. And there has been precedent in the US court system and, and internationally for admitting evidence uh, from the blockchain. Often we see it in, in criminal prosecutions in the, in the states uh, where um, prosecutors have relied on the blockchain to say and trace the source of illicit funds or to trace the, the movement of, um, of funds in, in that way to a specific party. And building from that precedent and what courts have already deemed to be admissible, we are trying to find a, a way forward to hopefully get to a place where evidence from the blockchain along the lines of what Starling Labs is focused on can be self-authenticated in court. And it can be used in US courts. It can be used in international courts uh, in a way to kind of bring out the truth in these very complex, complex situations where, where there is not a lot of um, media, where things move very, very quickly, where you're relying on people who are there on the ground in, in real time to hopefully overcome that old adage that history is, is written by the victors and to, to really get the perspective of the people who are on the ground bearing the, the kind of trauma and the realities of what are happening there now and, and hearing their voices directly through the blockchain. So it is an incredible um, project and we are, are very privileged to be able to work with Starling Lab and, and hopefully be helpful to them in what is a, a very incredible um, and impactful mission. And I'm very impressed with the work that they are doing and, and hope that we can help further it in some small way. For me, it's very inspiring to be working with a group, right, that is focused on these fundamental use cases for blockchain technologies, right, and is sort of a, 
you know, relative to a lot of the fraud and Ponzi schemes, right, that have really been present in the news over the past year, right, in relation to these technologies, um, you know, uh, being able to work on projects for Starling Lab and, you know, lots of other clients, right, that are, that are very focused on how it is that these technologies can actually improve real world problems, um, I think is very inspiring. Okay, well, switching gears a little bit, tell us about what you do for fun. So I've got three small kids who are hilarious, incredible, and just um, adorable and exhausting and wonderful in every single way. And so it is it is obviously incredibly fun to spend time with them and, and have relay races and, and play games and all the other things that they are very into at the moment. Um, but I also, I love to read I love to to take uh, walks with my with my husband. Um, I love to go to brunch. Love brunch. Um, do you have any favorite brunch places that you like to go? I do. I have a, a favorite brunch spot that's in the in the neighborhood, and it doesn't take reservations. You've got to be there on the dot when they open. Um, they make a very mean cocktail. One day you're going to have to come visit me, and I will take. <laughs> Tell me how it stands up, but it is my favorite cocktail in the world, and it is only made at this one specific place, and it is a perfect brunch accompaniment. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And I also heard through the grapevine that you really like ice cream. Do you have a favorite flavor? This is this is true, and I'm very um, committed to my ice cream. Hagen does coffee ice cream. I am yeah. a true believer. Um, in Haagen-Dazs coffee ice cream. It is the best ice cream of all time. We have a Haagen-Dazs in my neighborhood. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that they often say, see you tomorrow. But it is- <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, next time, next time I'm in New York, you're going to take me to brunch in Brooklyn for a cocktail followed by, <laughs> followed by coffee ice cream. That sounds like a fantastic mix. Sounds like a perfect day. Thanks, Helen. So really appreciate your time. It's been great to chat with you. And for our audience, once again, this is the RNG Tech Studio podcast. It's available on the Ropes and Gray website on the RNG Tech Studio page. And it's also linked and available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much. Have a great day.